Hello and welcome to Sam Splaining Science. I'm Sam. I'm your host. I'll be Sam Splaining the Science. And today is an Alzheimer's treatment update episode. We talked about Alzheimer's a bit back in episode 24, but it's been a whole 20 episodes since that update. And that episode was audio only. So I figured we can give a quick refresher of Alzheimer's disease with some pictures if you want to follow along on YouTube. And also talk about some new stuff and new developments that have happened since 20 episodes ago. But before we get into that, let's not skip the pleasantries. Hello. How are you? I hope you're doing well. I hope you're having a good week. My week was good. Um, It was pretty busy, both for work and podcast stuff. For work, I submitted an abstract for another conference. So fingers crossed it gets accepted and I can go. Um... And then this podcast has really been keeping me busy too. I think this year, like I said in previous episodes, um, I'm trying to do more like social media stuff. So I'm putting out like a TikTok and a reel for every episode. And that's like a decent amount of effort, a decent amount of work. But I'm very grateful because it seems to be pretty well received. People seem to be liking the TikToks and the reels. So thank you so much for your appreciation of it. It is not lost on me. Um, your, your support is, uh, recognized and greatly appreciated. So thank you very much. Also, before I forget, I want to remind you to please fill out the Sam Splaining Science census, um, which is not actually what I called it. I think I called it the Sam Splaining Science survey, but, um, it's a very short survey. The link will be in the description of this episode. It'll take about three minutes of your time. So you can actually fill it out like right now, really quick. All I, all it entails is really just telling me how you listen to the podcast, um, like where you listen, how often you listen and what you think of the topics. And I also have some optional like comment boxes because I want to hear your feedback. I want to hear specifically what you like about the show, specifically what you think could be improved about the show. And, um, you know, it gives you a chance to anonymously, it's an anonymous survey, gives you a chance to anonymously cyber bully me. So I say go for it. It's a win, 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 win. So please fill it out. It'll take three minutes of your time and it will mean a lot to me. And I will really appreciate the feedback that I get from it. So thank you. Also, thank you if you already filled it out. That is also greatly appreciated. Okay, now back to what we're talking about today, Alzheimer's disease. Like I said, we talked a lot about Alzheimer's disease in the previous episode, episode 24, but there's been some developments in the field that we'll get into, and I think this episode will be a, we'll do a quick refresher of AD, but we'll also have images and figures and more context that I wasn't able to put into the episode that was audio only in episode 24. So if you listen to episode 24, you might be familiar with some of the things that I say, but maybe you'll be interested to go onto YouTube, youtube.com slash at sci, or you can just search Splaining Science on YouTube. If you go there, you can see the figures, you can see the graphs or images that will put some of this into context for you if you're interested. No pressure. Um, while you're there, you should subscribe if you haven't already. Just a thought. Okay. Now let's get into today's questions. We have two questions today. The first one is what is Alzheimer's disease? And this will be a quick, relatively quick, as quick as I can make it, I hope, refresher on Alzheimer's disease. And that will lead us into our second question, which is what drugs are FDA approved for Alzheimer's disease or AD for short? Okay, so question one, what is Alzheimer's disease? I'm going to try to do a quick little recap on this, but if you want more information, you can check out the first two papers in the sources section of the episode. They're like review papers, an overlook of Alzheimer's disease as it stands today. Or you can go back and check out episode 24 where I talk a lot more about these different things. So Alzheimer's disease is a neurodegenerative disease. The symptomology starts with memory issues or trouble with memory. 
and can progress into issues with language, communication, speech, motor function, and executive functions. And by the end of life, oftentimes patients need around-the-clock care because their vital brain functions are just sort of deteriorating or degenerating over time. So they'll often need help by the end of their life taking basic care of themselves, um, like bathing and eating and um, things of that nature. So oftentimes in very late stages of Alzheimer's disease, people will need around-the-clock care just for basic functions. Um, But even before that, a lot of times patients have around-the-clock care because their memory issues and their cognitive issues might prevent them from participating in the world in a way that is safe for themselves and safe for others. Um, So yeah, oftentimes patients will need caretakers either full-time or a majority of the time. A little bit about the epidemiology. I go into this more in detail in the previous episode, but I just kind of wanted to put it into context of the world and how many people uh, are affected by Alzheimer's disease. So these numbers are from a 2018 study. 47 million people worldwide are affected by dementia. And 60 to 80% of those dementia patients will have Alzheimer's disease specifically. So Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. There are other type of dementias, but it is the most common with 60 to 80% of dementia patients having Alzheimer's disease. Given the uh, growth and the development of Alzheimer's disease and the way that it impacts the population, it's predicted that by the year 2050, 131 million people will have Alzheimer's disease. And I mean, that's like triple, almost triple what it is now. And it's important to recognize that because, well, one, as the boomer generation gets older, more people are going to experience Alzheimer's disease because aging is the biggest risk for AD. But it's also important to note because all of these people, as they get older, when some of them get Alzheimer's, develop Alzheimer's, they are going to need care, round-the-clock care at some point, right? They're going to need doctors and physicians and nurses and caretakers to help them. So it's not just like those people who have Alzheimer's disease are affected. It's their families. It's their caretakers. It will globally impact billions of people, I'm sure, when we think about how it, you know, how it webs, I guess. So there is a huge demand for developments in Alzheimer's disease and figuring out how to better diagnose it and then not only diagnose it, but how to better treat it and cure it, right? So that way, all these 131 million people who might get Alzheimer's disease by 2050 can have a way to live out the rest of their lives as themselves with dignity, right? So there's a a big push in the field of Alzheimer's disease to really find a cure because it is a debilitating disease and it's devastating for the patients and the patient's families. So, okay. So that's the epidemiology of it all and sort of the context in the world. But now what I want to get into is the neurobiology of Alzheimer's, because that's where I, that's where I live in the neurobiology of it all. Um, The most popular neurobiological study, I guess, of Alzheimer's disease is the amyloid hypothesis. This is basically the I don't know, the last 20 years, maybe more, of the field of Alzheimer's disease has really been based off of this hypothesis, where a protein called amyloid sort of lays the groundwork for Alzheimer's disease to develop. And the framework by which Alzheimer's disease progresses and develops is known as the ATN framework. Basically, it explains 
what's happening behind the scenes as the disease is progressing throughout the brain. So it's an A-T-N framework. And we're going to go through each of those letters, what each of them mean, put it in context. So the A in A-T-N is amyloid, amyloid beta plaque. So I mentioned it very briefly when I mentioned the amyloid hypothesis. Amyloid is a protein in the brain. We actually talked about it a little bit on last week's pet episode. Um, But amyloid beta builds up in the brain in plaques. And this buildup in the brain happens in a very distinct spatial pattern that sort of moves across different regions of the brain in a typical way that's defined as a thal stage or thal regions. These plaques are extracellular, which means that they are outside of the brain cell, outside of the neuron. So they build up in the spaces around the neurons and around other brain cells. So these plaques, I am showing an image here, they're sort of built up around the cells, which are kind of hard to see, I apologize, but they're extracellularly building up around brain cells. They can also build up around blood vessels in the brain. There are a lot of blood vessels in the brain because the brain needs a lot of blood. And amyloid can build up around the blood vessel. That's an important note for later, just so you know. A little foreshadowing. We'll come back to it. Put a pin in it, right? Isn't that what they say? Or table it. We'll be, we'll be back to that real quick. So that was the A in ATN framework. The T in the ATN framework stands for tau. Tau pro- is another protein um, that kind of aggregates and forms what we call neurofibrillary tangles, or NFTs. Not the finance bro kind the real kind. Yeah, I said it. Um, But these neurofibrillary tangles, unlike amyloid, they, they build up inside of the cell. So inside of the brain cell, these tau proteins, which are actually like little skinny little strips of protein, I guess you can call them, they sort of build up together. They get stuck in the cell, inside of the cell. And this buildup of this protein is toxic to cells. So the buildup of this buildup of tau in the cell eventually leads to the death of the cell. Similar to amyloid though, although it's not similar to amyloid because tau builds up in the cell and amyloid builds up outside of the cell. Similar to amyloid, tau also spreads through the brain in regionally distinct patterns. Not the same pattern as amyloid though, interestingly enough. So tau sort of spreads through the brain in a way that's, it's called BRAC staging because the people who developed it were BRAC and BRAC. And um, I actually don't know if they're like married or like siblings or maybe it's just a coincidence they have the same last name. I don't know. But the paper that defined BRAC staging was by BRAC and BRAC. That sort of research I don't really care about. Sorry. The science I can get into. I, I'm not going to sit here and do a family tree. That, I'm not, I don't care. I'll tell you right now, I don't care. Um, <laughs> but these BRAC staging basically shows how tau spreads throughout the brain as Alzheimer's disease is progressing as well. And regions where tau starts to build up and starts to kill brain cells include the entorhinal cortex and the hippocampus. What does that mean? Those are areas of the brain that are important for memory and learning. So as I mentioned, when we talked about the symptomology, a lot of the early symptoms of Alzheimer's disease are related to memory and learning. So it's interesting that tau, the thing that's toxic to brain cells, also starts to collect in the regions that are responsible for the functions that are impaired at the beginning of the disease. As the disease progresses, tau spreads from these regions of the medial temporal cortex and the entorhinal cortex and the hippocampus outwards towards other parts of the temporal cortex that are responsible for language and speech, which are also impaired as Alzheimer's disease progresses. And then tau spreads to the parietal cortex of the brain where the sensory motor cortex is located. And then as we know, 
as Alzheimer's disease progresses, people have issues with motor functions. And then also as the tau or as the disease gets to late stages, tau spreads across the frontal cortex and the prefrontal cortex, which is an area of the brain that's responsible for executive functions. So tau spreads across the brain in a way that the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease present themselves. And that's because as tau is spreading through those regions, it's harming the brain cells and killing them. And when you kill a brain cell, you lose the ability to use that brain cell because it's dead. Science. So as you're losing these functions because tau is spreading, you're losing the ability to do what those brain cells do, and that leads to the presentation of symptoms of memory loss, speech issues, motor issues, and so on as tau spreads through the brain. So that was the T in the ATN framework. So A was amyloid, which is just a protein that's in the brain, kind of spreads all over the brain. Tau is regionally specific and it relates to the symptom onset. The N in the ATN framework stands for neurodegeneration. There are a couple of different ways that we can measure and see neurodegeneration. So one way that we can think about neurodegeneration is decreased function um, or decreased metabolism, right? And that's when tau kills the brain cell. That brain cell is no longer functional, so there will be reduced function in that region of the brain. And then because there's less function, there will be less metabolism, right? Less glucose being taken up to make energy and less energy used. Another way to think about neurodegeneration or to study neurodegeneration is looking at atrophy, which is the loss of, in this case, brain tissue. You might have heard like muscle atrophy when you lose muscle. Atrophy here in this context is the loss of brain tissue. So we can study metabolic issues and decreased metabolism in vivo in living patients. <clears throat> Excuse me based on FDG-PET, which is what we kind of talked about last week when we were talking about metabolism of cancer cells. Here we can use FDG-PET in the brain to look at how the brain takes up glucose and how it uses glucose to make energy. So we can look at the metabolism and functional issue with FDG-PET, and we can look at atrophy with structural MRI. The slide here shows a brain of someone who has passed without Alzheimer's disease, that's the normal brain, and then someone who has passed with Alzheimer's disease, that's the Alzheimer brain, after autopsy. And even after autopsy, we can see that the Alzheimer's brain is shrunken in a little bit, and there's more gaps between the folds in our brain than normal when somebody has Alzheimer's disease. So there's like less brain tissue they also can weigh the brain after, like, a postmortem, after the patient has passed away. And the weight of the brain is also lower. It's lighter um, because there's less brain matter. There's less mass to the brain. So that's sort of neurodegeneration. It's an underlying physiological phenomenon in Alzheimer's disease that makes up the N in the ATN framework. So amyloid, tau, and neurodegeneration are like the three key components to the neurobiological happenings of Alzheimer's disease. ATN, amyloid, tau, neurodegeneration. Okay. And then before we close out question one, I wanted to show this figure. Um, <clears throat> this is a very helpful figure to sort of understand how the disease progresses and not necessarily how it progresses, but how we can detect Alzheimer's disease at different points of the disease. So one of the first things that happens in Alzheimer's disease is the buildup of amyloid. And we can measure amyloid beta, beta amyloid, tomato, tomato, in a couple of ways. One way that we can measure it is in fluid. 
Sometimes we measure it in CSF or cerebral spinal fluid. So that's if you get a spinal tap. Um, if you've ever heard of a spinal tap, basically they put a needle through your spine and they pull out some of the fluid that surrounds your brain and your spinal cord, which is called cerebral spinal fluid. Um, so amyloid can build up in that cerebral spinal fluid early on in disease progression. So that's one of the first things that we can detect. But shortly after that, we can also detect amyloid buildup in the brain using amyloid PET imaging, which again, we talked about in last week's episode. Another thing that we can test or we can detect relatively early on in disease progression is tau protein, but specifically tau protein that is in fluid, whether it's in your blood plasma, which you can detect plasma phosphorylated tau or plasma P tau, or you can, I think you can also detect tau in CSF as well. So again, like a spinal tap and then look at how much tau protein is in that fluid as well. And then as the disease progresses a while later, then we can start to see tau buildup in the brain using tau PET imaging. So the amyloid, following the ATN framework, the amyloid comes first, both in fluid and in the brain. Then tau fluid comes. Then a little while later, kind of a big gap later, tau starts to build up in the brain. Then shortly after tau, we can start to see neurodegeneration measures with structural MRI and FDG PET. And then after the neurodegeneration, after we're losing these brain cells, comes the cognitive impairment. So this is sort of, if you're watching um, in the YouTube, you see the sort of these curves of progression based on the abnormality of these measurements and how the amyloid measures become abnormal first, then tau, then neurodegeneration, and then we see the cognitive impairment, or rather, the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. If you're not watching, you can check out um, the paper published in 2022 by uh, C.R. Jack in the Lancet Neurology uh, to check it out. Okay, so that's question one, a brief overview of Alzheimer's disease, the symptomology, the biology, the progression. Now let's move on to question number two, which is what drugs are available for, or what FDA-approved drugs are available for Alzheimer's disease? So the last time we chatted about this, there was one drug that was recently approved. Since then, another drug has been recently approved. So there are now two drugs that received accelerated approval from the FDA to treat Alzheimer's disease. Accelerated approval means that before the trial was officially over, um, before the trial met all of their endpoints, the review committee decided that the results, the interim results, were significant enough that there were clearly benefits of the drug over no treatment or over existing treatments. So instead of waiting for the trial to be over, they say, let's not wait. This drug is clearly better, either better than nothing or better than the drugs that are already out there. And they give it an accelerated approval. So both of these drugs received accelerated FDA approval. Both of these drugs are monoclonal antibodies, which means that you might notice they both of the pharmaceutical names that are long and obnoxious. They both end in MAB for monoclonal antibody. Antibodies basically specifically target something, whatever you want them to target, and then they destroy it. They basically like sick the immune system on it and destroy it. In this case, the monoclonal antibodies, both of them, attack amyloid beta plaques. So these monoclonal antibodies find amyloid beta in the brain and signal it to get broken down and removed from the brain. That's their job. That's what they do. Both of these drugs were tested by randomized control trial, or RCTs. This basically means that participants or patients in the study 
were randomized or were randomly assigned to a treatment group, whether they got the drug or assigned randomly assigned to a placebo group, or they don't get the drug. They just get like a fake drug, AKA saline. The first drug that we talked about in episode 24 was approved in 2021, June of 2021, and it's called aducanumab. I might just call it adu. I might call it ADU. I don't know. I'm going to see how it flies. Maybe I'll just call it aducanumab because I, it kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit when you say it enough. Um, the brand name for this drug is called Aduhelm, and it was developed by Biogen and ASI. Biogen, I think, is in Massachusetts, and ASI is in Japan. Um, but they work together on this drug. And I think Biogen was like the leader with the help of ASI. The second drug, which just got approved by the FDA in the beginning of this year, in the beginning of January 2023, is called Lecanemab, which we can abbreviate as LEQ or LEC, Lecanemab. Um, the brand name is Lequembi, Lequembi. And it was developed by ASI and Biogen. I'm sorry, I spelled it wrong on the slide. It should just be E-I-S-A-I. That's my bad. Um, but ASI took the head on this one and Biogen helped. Um, so we're going to review the results from aducanumab. Even though I talked about them in the previous episode, I'm just going to review them again. And then we're going to talk about lecanumab, which is the more recent one that just got approved this year for question two. Okay, so let's start with aducanumab. The results that I am sharing are from a paper that's linked in the description, of course, by Dr. Bud Haberlin and colleagues. It was published in 2022, and it talks about two randomized studies of aducanumab in early Alzheimer's disease. So these two studies were called the ENGAGE trial and the EMERGE trial. Both used early Alzheimer's disease patients, for both legs of this study, for both trials, the participants received intravenous or IV administration once every four weeks for 76 weeks, or a little over a year and a half. There were three groups. So one group received a placebo IV, which was just basically saline, salt water. Then the second group received a low dose of the drug, and then the third group received a high dose of a drug. And because these groups were, or because these trials were randomized control trials, people were randomly assigned. So like every three people that were onboarded, one would go to th the placebo, one would go to low dose, one would go to high dose. And they would just sort of basically pick names from a hat, essentially, to say who goes where. The measures that they took throughout the study included imaging measures of amyloid PET, Blood testing, where they measured the plasma p-tau, which is an indicator of the tau in the body. Um, not necessarily the tau aggregate in the brain, but the tau in the body. And then they also had cognitive testing, where they primarily looked at what's called the clinical dementia rating scale, or the CDR scale. So the CDR is a basically a questionnaire looking at the impairment level of a person, where each question would be measured on a scale from zero to three, where zero is like no impairment and three is severe impairment. So their primary outcome of the study, what they really wanted to see was, okay, does our drug change the CDR? Does the drug change the change the progression of the CDR, change the progression of the cognitive impairment in people in the high dose or low dose groups compared to the placebo. But they also had the imaging measures and the plasma p-tau measures um, to look at amyloid and tau respectively. So we'll jump into the results now. So I would say the results that I'm going to show first are the most impressive, and then we'll get into the results that are not so impressive with this drug. Um, I kind of talked about in the previous episode my opinion of this drug, um, but I'm not a neurologist. I'm not a physician, so don't listen to me. But 
I think there are some part, some results from this study that are super impressive and some results that leave me wanting a little more, let's say. So the first thing that I want to talk about is the amyloid in the brain, right? So we can measure, we can take a PET scan and basically look at how much amyloid there is in the brain of someone who has Alzheimer's disease. So in each leg of this trial, the eMERGE trial and the ENGAGE trial, participants had a baseline PET scan at the start of the study, and then they had a PET scan at about six weeks, or sorry, six months, and then another PET scan a year later. And from that, they could see how much amyloid is still in the brain compared to the baseline. And what they found is that people who were on the drug, whether it was low dose or high dose, they both had a decrease in amyloid from baseline, meaning that as they were on the drug for a year and a half, the drug, which is a beta amyloid antibody, cleared amyloid from the brain, which is exactly what we wanted to do. So that's great news. The drug is doing what it should do. Excellent. It's clearing amyloid from the brain. That's what it claims to do. That's great. Meanwhile, the placebo group had no change or even like a slight increase in amyloid from baseline. So it's proving that, okay, because these people have this drug, they are clearing amyloid from the from the brain, and they're doing it at a much faster rate than if they were getting no drug at all. So that's amazing. Two thumbs up. Great work. The next thing that they looked at was the measure of P-tau, or plasma phosphorylated tau. Um, the amount of tau in your blood precedes the neurofibrillary tangles, the NFTs, in your brain. So it comes a while before... If you go back to the plot from the Jack 2022 study, um, the P-tau comes a little bit before actual tau buildup in the brain. But tau in the blood is related to amyloid de deposition. It comes like very shortly after the amyloid deposition in the brain. So they can we can use it as a way to show that, okay, these proteins are working together to progress Alzheimer's disease. So they... It, the field values measuring P-tau or phosphorylated tau in your blood because it's related to the disease. So in P-tau measures, in plasma phosphorylated tau measures, they also find that people on the drug, either high dose or low dose, had a reduction in plasma P-tau measures from baseline whereas the people who were on the placebo actually had an increase in plasma P-tau from baseline. So this shows that even though the drug is directly targeting amyloid, it's also impacting tau, specifically plasma P-tau, or the, the tau in your blood that's circulating through your blood. So this shows that this drug impacts blood tau levels as well as the amyloid in your brain. Great. So th this is another great finding. I have no problem with this. I think this is beautiful work. The problem comes when we look at the primary endpoint of the study, which is what they wanted to achieve, which was looking at cognitive measures and seeing how cognitively people in the placebo group compared to people who actually got the drug. So with these first two results, right, looking at the amyloid levels after aducanumab administration, either high dose or low dose, and also looking at the plasma P-tau in either high dose, low dose of aducanumab administration, we would probably expect that the cognitive scores of people who received the drug are better than those who received the placebo, just based off of the ATN framework, right? The placebo group had more amyloid, more tau from baseline, so they all probably have more neurodegeneration over time, which would lead to more cognitive impairments. On the flip side, the drug groups had less amyloid, less tau, 
theoretically less neurodegeneration if there's less amyloid, less tau. And then in that case, there would be maybe less cognitive decline over time. That's the expectation. But now let's get into the cognitive results. Now my tone changes from like great results to I want to see more. I was expecting more from you. What's that? Um, you know the uh, TikTok sound, like the pyramid? Aducanumab, you were good. I'm waiting for you to be great. That's how I feel right now when I look at the cognitive measures. So let me say this. Firstly, foremostly, this drug is not a miracle drug. No drug is, right? As cognition declines, there's no reversing it. Brain cells are really weird like that, where when they die, they just die. Like if you, if, if you get a cut and like the cells on your hand like die and like scab over or whatever, and then they build new skin cells because like the skin can just regenerate itself. The brain cannot do that. When brain cells die, they die. That's it. That's all you can do. So essentially the progression of Alzheimer's disease is pretty permanent. So when brain cells die, you lose this function. You pretty much lose it forever. With that being said, this drug does not reverse cognitive impairment. You can't take this drug and all of a sudden remember everything. If you already experienced memory loss, it's not going to bring your memories back, unfortunately. That would be a miracle drug. This is not. Um, in this trial... All the groups, whether it was placebo, low-dose, or high-dose groups, all experienced cognitive decline. So their CDR scores all got worse over time. However, one group in particular, the high-dose group of the EMERGE trial, had a decline in cognition that was a little slower, 22% slower than people who were on the placebo in eMERGE group, in the eMERGE trial. However, people who were on the low dose in the eMERGE trial did not have, they had a trend towards a slower cognitive decline, but statistically speaking, it was not different between the rate of decline from the placebo. That was the eMERGE group. That I should have maybe ended with that one because that was like the golden child. That like was the best result. The ENGAGE trial, bad. Two thumbs down. Boo. Sorry, maybe that's harsh, but it's true. Um, because both the low-dose and the high-dose groups were not statistically different from the cognitive decline in the placebo group. So essentially, if we're thinking about this as like four comparisons across both studies, so like we have the eMERGE trial, which had low dose, high dose compared to controls or compared to placebo, and then the ENGAGE trial, which also had low dose, high dose compared to placebo. That's four comparisons. One of the four comparisons was statistically significant. That's nothing to write home about in my opinion, but I will say this. It's better than nothing, right? And that's why I got the advanced approval or the accelerated approval from the FDA because, you know, it, high doses of aducanumab seem to slow cognitive decline in one of these trials. And they thought, you know what? It's better than nothing. Let's, let's go. Let's start rolling it out. So, but people who don't prescribe drugs, me, someone who's like a statistician, someone who's like, likes stats and likes data, sees this and goes, oh, okay. Kind of disappointing, you know? Um, but I understand that like it's better than nothing. And that's why they were like, let's go, aducanumab. June of 2021, they approved it. And since then, it doctors have been prescribing it. Some doctors have. Some doctors haven't because they don't like, they're not impressed by the results. But some doctors are like, hey, it's better than nothing. Let's do it. So that's aducanumab. Those are the results. Started off strong. 
Aducanumab, you were good. I'm waiting for you to be great. And that brings us to the second drug, lecanemab, L-E-Q, lecanemab. Um, the results from this study were just published earlier this year, January of 2023, by uh, Dr. Van Dyke and colleagues in the New England Journal of Medicine. It's linked below, of course. This study was also a trial with participants or patients who had early Alzheimer's disease, so people in the same stage as those who were in the trial for aducanumab. This drug, like aducanumab, is also intravenously administered, or there's an IV administration. However, the protocol is a little different, where the drug was administered once every two weeks, so shorter increments, essentially. The study had two groups, placebo and lecanemab, control and drug. That's it. Pretty simple. And the measures that they took over time were um, amyloid PET imaging. I think they said they also sometimes measured amyloid in the fluid, like the CSF fluid. And they also, their primary measure, their primary outcome that they cared about was the clinical dementia rating scale or the CDR scale score. So that was their primary, that's what they cared about. Now let's get into the results quick. The abstract of the study reports that they saw larger reductions in amyloid beta in the drug group versus the placebo group. And that makes sense, again, because lecanemab, like aducanumab, is uh, an amyloid antibody. So it'll go into the brain, it'll find amyloid, it'll like chop it up and remove it from the brain, basically. Um, so that makes sense. They didn't show the plot for this in the abstract. This abstract, sorry, this study has what's called a graphical abstract where it has like a bunch of words, but then it also has some figures of like the key points, the key takeaways from the paper. They didn't show the amyloid results in the graphical abstract, so I didn't show it here. But um, they did say that amyloid was lower in the lecanemab groups over time compared to the placebos. Their primary outcome, remember, was the CDR score. And both groups had cognitive decline over time, or their CDR score increased over time, because remember, three means that they're severely impaired, and zero means that they're not impaired. So both groups, placebo and drug, declined over time, just like we saw in aducanumab, right? Everyone declined over time. But here, more overwhelmingly evident, lecanumab declined slower than people who got the placebo, or people on lecanemab declined slower than people who got the placebo. So much so that by the end of the 18 months, the people who had lecanemab had declined, I think it was like 27% slower than people who had the placebo, which is, you know, that's almost 30%. That's almost a third, you know? It's, it's looking a little bit better. Um, Again, they're still declining, and it's not a miracle drug. They're not completely recovering their, their cognitive abilities that they've lost, but it's declining slower than people who got the placebo. So this drug got accelerated approval because they said, hey, this data looks a lot stronger in terms of our primary outcome, which is cognitive ability and cognitive decline, rather. If we can significantly slow cognitive decline, which this data shows, then this drug is better than aducanumab. So we'll approve this drug. So this is lecanemab, which is the new one that just came out this year, just got approved this year. People are really excited about it because they're like, this is it, right? This is going to slow cognitive decline. It, the data looks a lot stronger. Um, a lot more significant than the previous um, trials did. So people are super excited about this. But slow your roll, as they say. Hold your horses. Because let's talk about safety for a second. Initially, the initial measures of safety in this trial seemed like the drug was pretty safe, right? Um, and they do this by looking at adverse events and serious adverse events. And they saw that the number of events was pretty similar between people who got the drug and people who got the placebo. 
So they were like, you know what? There's no need to say that this drug is not safe um, because, you know, they're pretty comparable whether they get the placebo or whether they get the, the drug. However, the study did conclude that more studies are needed on safety for this drug before they can say it's definitely safe. They say, like in the conclusion part of the abstract, they say that more studies are needed to confirm safety of lecanemab. So this drug gets approved. And what happens when this drug gets approved is that it goes into what's called extended phase three, where phase three is not over, right? They're not done with it technically, but they see that there's a clear benefit of the drug over no drug. So extended phase three is they take the placebo group and they say, okay, you're going to get the drug now. They tell them you're a placebo, but we see a benefit of using this drug. So we're going to give you the drug now because it's only fair. Like these people are declining slower. So you should be able to decline slower from now on. So we'll give you the drug. That's extended phase three. During extended phase three of this drug, um, three people passed away who were in the placebo group, started getting the drug. They passed away due to a brain bleed. And the representatives at ASI and Biogen, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, by the way. I hope I am. ASI. It's E-I-S-A-I. ASI? I'm sorry. Um, but representatives of the company, ASI, ASI, say that these were amyloid-related imaging abnormalities, or ARIA. And the representative said that perhaps the removal of amyloid by the, the antibody that they got, it removed the amyloid that was very close to the blood vessels. Remember I said very early on in this episode that amyloid builds up outside of the brain cells and it can also build up outside of the blood vessels. So if we're removing amyloid from the brain, it could remove amyloid from the blood vessel, which could cause the blood vessel to maybe lose some support, maybe get weaker, and then if those walls of those vessels are weak, it could cause them to break and leak blood into the brain. That's what they're saying might happen. They also said that perhaps that all three of those patients who passed away were also prescribed blood thinners. So that might have exacerbated, exasperated. It might have made the brain bleeds worse. So they're looking into that more to say, okay, well, maybe we need to put out a warning, like people who are on blood thinners should not take lecanemab at the same time, things like that. Um, but I, I did want to talk about that because I think people are really like psyched about the cognitive improvement, or I shouldn't say cognitive improvement, the slowed cognitive decline of this drug. Um, but there are still safety concerns that are being worked through. Granted, the likelihood of this happening was very low, right? Three patients out of how, I don't even know how many people were in the full trial. Um, definitely over a thousand. So it's like less than a percent occurrence. Um, but still people, um, passed away and they, it might have been because they were taking this drug. So this is something that they are looking into further. This has been a real roller coaster of like, aducanumab looks good, except it doesn't do what we want it to do. And then lecanumab looks really good because it does what we want it to do, but it also could be dangerous. It's up and down, up and down, up and down, but that's life. And that's science, unfortunately. Okay. So that is the lecanemab data to date. That is an improvement or a new development from episode 24. Okay. Let's get to the takeaways of this episode. Firstly, we talked about Alzheimer's. It's a neurodegenerative disease. We talked about the symptoms and the neurobiology behind it, the ATN framework, amyloid, tau, neurodegeneration, all that beautiful stuff. 
We also talked about the treatments that are currently available for Alzheimer's disease, which are aducanumab and le- or lecanemab. Um, both of these focus on amyloid beta. They work as antibodies to target amyloid beta to clear it from the brain. And the key here is early detection. We know that amyloid beta is one of the first things that starts to build up in the brain in Alzheimer's disease progression. And some studies have actually shown that amyloid beta can build up in the brain up to two decades before people start noticing Alzheimer's symptoms, right? So I think that with both of these treatments, it's not just me. It's not just me thinking this. A lot of people, literal experts in the field say, the key is early detection, right? The key is noticing when amyloid is building up so that we can clear it out before the whole amyloid cask or Alzheimer's cascade takes off. Um, you know, if there's no amyloid in the brain, maybe tau will build up slower. And then, you know, neurodegeneration will happen slower and cognitive impairment will happen slower. Um, but the key is to get the amyloid out of the brain as early as possible. Another thing that I did want to take away, but I didn't mention it, sorry, is that these drugs are expensive. Um, I forget the measure. I think they were more than $25,000 per year to get these drugs. And, you know, depending on insurance, I don't really, I'm not too familiar with insurance. I hope that Medicare covers it because our elderly are most of the people who have Alzheimer's and, um, you know, I think a lot of people who are elderly are also on Medicare because I don't know about you. I don't know many elderly people who can afford $25,000 a year for a medicine, right? So that's another concern that I have, another critique that I have just about the whole institution of medicine and why it's so expensive when people are suffering and we have something that can make them feel like they're suffering less and we charge them an arm and a leg for it. It doesn't seem fair. Everything that I say on this podcast is just to make Bernie Sanders proud. Every single thing. Um, Socialized medicine is what I'm trying to say. Okay, next takeaway is <laughs> the uh, future. We can also think about future tar- future treatment targets, right? Because, you know, amyloid has been the focus of the field for so long. But current research is showing that it's not just amyloid, right? There's tau. There's also studies that show that neuroinflammation is relevant in Alzheimer's disease somewhere in the pipeline. So there's other ways that we can maybe target AD progression to slow it down or to stop it from happening altogether. Um, and you know, in the future we should, the field is thinking about how to use these additional targets for treatment. So all in all AD treatment is a work in progress, lots of progress being made, lots of progress left to do. And also, Medicare for all. Okay, thank you so much for listening. (laughs) I love you, Bernie Sanders. Okay, that's all for this week's episode. (laughs) Please don't forget to follow, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. And you can subscribe on YouTube, please. You can also follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at SamSplainingSci. So connect with me there and ask questions if you'd like. You can also submit your questions to samsplainingscience.com slash ask. So if you have anything that you want me to samsplain, ask away. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you learned a little bit and laughed a little bit, and I will talk to you next time. Bye.